HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Discover South Carolina. Learn more at discoversouthcarolina.com. Spring is like the best time of year for produce, for products, specifically produce, because there's so many things that are coming out and so many people reaching out to myself and reaching out to Jamie, you know, to introduce us to their produce. People like Nat Bradford with his, if you've ever had any of his collard greens, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic. And I know soon he's going to have okra coming through and it's just awesome. That was Kevin Mitchell sharing some thoughts about springtime in South Carolina. This month, we teamed up with Discover South Carolina and Charleston Wine and Food to celebrate the state's incredible restaurant and agriculture scene. Who better to hear from than the state's chef ambassadors? Each year, a group of chefs is tapped to elevate visitor awareness about the state's restaurants, farms, food producers, and tourism locales. We got to speak to this year's group on two special episodes of HRN Happy Hour. Both are out now, and we'll link to them in our show notes. In this week's Meet and Three, we're bringing you highlights from those conversations. And in the second half of the show, we have some of our favorite moments from Charleston Wine and Food 2020, one of the last in-person events HRN attended before the pandemic. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. One meet, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal. For your ears. Meet and three. Now we go back over to Kevin Mitchell, one of the 2021 South Carolina chef ambassadors whose term length was doubled due to the pandemic. We have the, the dubious distinction of being the only class that has done it two years in a row. Kevin is truly a scholar of Southern food. His Instagram handle is literally Chef Scholar. He also became the first African-American chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of Charleston in 2008. His fellow ambassadors are Raffaele Dallarta, Jamie Descalis, and Jason Tufts. Here's Jason talking about first learning he was tapped as a chef ambassador. You know, we have Kevin, who is an extremely talented, extremely um, intelligent, like well-versed, um, studied man who's done like his master's thesis. We have Jamie, who is, you know, an extremely successful restaurateur, high energy, 
does really, really beautiful things with waffles and omelets and has all these great civic things that she does with the autism awareness, you know, for her son. And then we have Raffaele, who has this beautiful pedigree, you know, the in it little Washington. I've got Patrick O'Connell's cookbook and Raffaele's names in it. And uh, Raffaele, I keep forgetting to get you to uh, sign that for me. <laughs> but um, for me, it's just, it's a huge sense of pride to number one, be able to represent my home state, to represent my hometown um, and to represent my restaurant. Jason is the only chef in the group who's cooking in his hometown. He's the chef at Malia's in Aiken. Actually right across the uh, river from Augusta. It's about a 20 minute drive, depending upon where in town you're located. So we do get a, a lot of traffic. Also having uh, so many beautiful golf courses in town. We do attract a lot of uh, weekenders that they'll rent our houses. They'll uh, eat downtown, pretty much anywhere and everywhere is uh, loaded with tons of wonderful guests this time of year. Raffaele, who is the head chef at Hamptons in Sumter, is originally from Lombardy, Italy, and has cooked in the UK and New York before finding his way to South Carolina. So at the time, 11 years ago, I kind of was ready to leave um, and to do the food I really wanted. So when uh, I met the Thompson uh, through a friend. We came over and uh, kind of explained to us the vision with the town and uh, the restaurant. And we fall in love right away you know, with our vision and uh, the growth of you know, a small little town. And I've been here for 11 years and I'm still loving it. Jamie grew up in her family's restaurants in New York and now runs the beloved Johnny D's Waffles and Bakery in Myrtle Beach. She talked to us about what's universal about breakfast foods and some of the ingredients she started using only after moving south. When I was in New York, every once in a while, someone would come in and be like, do you have grits? And I'm like, no, we don't. That's not a that's that's not really a thing. Like, I don't think any of the diners had grits. So when I came down here, we were uh, we took over a Nibbles family restaurant. And um, we turned it into Johnny D's, but we kind of a couple of things that like we, you know, the grits and stuff, I kind of was just like, I tasted his grits and I was like, I really don't, they were instant grits that he was cooking. And I was like, I really don't see what the, the fascination is with this. And then um, I picked up a bag of grits from the store, I think Palmetto grits from, you know, one of the local uh, South Carolina grits from the store. And I made them at home uh, with some heavy cream and a, a lot of butter. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, these are good. So then I went back to the restaurant and I was like, daddy, we have to stop serving these. We need to get stone ground grits. And, um, I started using it from Allen brothers, you know, Adlu in uh, Columbia and I made them for him. And he's like, Oh, him too. He was like, Oh, now I see. Now I see. Cause he was the same way. Like, I don't, I don't really understand what the fuss is about. Um, because you know, we didn't, we didn't taste them the way, you know, they were intended to be tasted. The South Carolina chef ambassadors focus on connecting diners and tourists to the farmers, producers, and cooks that make up a vibrant food scene. One of the ways they foster these connections is by telling stories about ingredients and where they're grown. As summer approaches, all of the chefs are looking forward to a bountiful season. I'm super excited that it's soft shell crab season. <laughs> Those little suckers are delicious. You know, I'm looking forward to, you know, to getting some really good strawberries from McLeod Farms, who who does the really great peaches, um, <clears throat> the Max Pride peaches, which um, 
are, are should be coming in pretty soon. But I definitely like to use a lot of you know South Carolina grown uh, grains and beans and peas. So you know I work with I do a lot of work with Anson Mills to get the you know of course the Carolina gold rice and the Sea Island red peas. I'm a huge fan of the Bene seeds, so I use those a lot. I'm looking forward to. Hopefully next week, actually getting some asparagus from uh, Moneta Farms in Moneta, South Carolina. I'm also very much into using a lot of uh, microgreens, whether it's in the class or even at home. So getting that stuff from, from city roots or vertical roots is a really big deal. We started getting lettuce from Micro Leon Farms in Conway. He's It's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm. It's pretty new, and I use all my microgreens from him. And um, anytime I have an event, I you know call him up and he gets me. I just love his microgreens. They last a lot longer. You can tell that they're super fresh. He puts some uh, like beet, like baby beet greens in there. So I get some that beautiful purple color when I put them on the plates because everyone wants to put everything on Instagram now. So when I make my dishes, I want to make sure that there's some color to them so they look beautiful when people post them. I'm also excited that it's uh, asparagus season. Manetta asparagus is, I mean, literally right up the road from me. And we buy from a fifth generation farm. And um, my my good friend Hope will be delivering me three cases of medium asparagus tomorrow morning. So that's that's kind of neat. The relationships you're able to personally build with these farmers. It's a really interesting to work with a farmer. Sometimes you know they, you know, I'm working with some of the people where they ask me, okay, what do you want me to plan? And I'm you know, do whatever you want to put on the menu. So you are able to kind of just tell them. So some of the heirloom seed. So if you want to see like a Romanesco stuff, you know, you kind of never thought, you know, you know, here in South Carolina, because it really take a lot of uh, experience to some of the products, not just, you know, just put a seed and just let it grow. And hopefully, you know, for the best, uh, you need to understand that they, you know so much about the you know the the dirt and the uh, the, the, the water the you know the, the you know the, the zoning. So we have also the 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 luck to work with uh, with farmer. They they really ask us what we wanna you know in uh, you know for the summer or for the or for all year round. When Kevin, Jamie, Raffaele, and Jason were tapped to be South Carolina's chef ambassadors in 2020. They didn't know they'd be serving in these roles for two years instead of one. They also didn't know that their culinary community would face some of its biggest challenges ever. But as South Carolina forges ahead to reopening and recovery, the restaurant and tourism industry is ready to welcome visitors back. We asked each of the ambassadors what they hope people will experience when they take their next trip to the state. I really would like for people when they come visit my home state to number one, realize all of the different topography that we have here. We've got a coast, we've got mountains, we've got swampland, we've got uh, midlands. And I mean, that produces so many unique and interesting products and animals and vegetables and fruits and so many different things. So I would love for people to remember my state for having such a diverse amount of food available to them in the most beautiful setting I think that they possibly could. 
you know, I just want people to understand that South Carolina has really good food, really good barbecue, good breakfast, lunch, uh, you know, fine dining places, not so fine dining places, but they're still delicious. So everyone needs to come here ready to eat, bring your appetites and don't worry about their diets anymore. When uh, the guests that come to eat at, at Hampton, I want, I want to feel good about it. I give, you know, the best uh, of... Um, each ingredient I put on the table, you know, because sometimes, you know, you know, I put an example, tomato, you know, a tomato, people think, oh, a tomato is a tomato. No, there is a, a good tomato and a bad tomato. So when they come to, to Hampton or even, you know, even in South Carolina, you can really find an incredible ingredient. I want people when they come to South Carolina, specifically places like Myrtle Beach and Charleston, the heavy tourist areas in the state, which are very beautiful, as Jamie said, and there's a lot of things to do even outside of food. But I want people when they come to places like that to, first of all, they have to understand that we are still kind of recovering from the pandemic. And there's a lot of places mm-hmm. here in Charleston and definitely there. And they, you know, and, and I'm sure Jamie can attest to that, that, you know, there's a lot of these places that are are extremely, extremely understaffed and oh they're God, trying yes. to to staff up. And I think I just want people when they come, you know, initially until we kind of get some sense of normalcy, whatever that is supposed to be, that they they walk away with the understanding that, you know, this despite the short staff that people are still in those places ready to serve you ready to to give you the best experience that they can possibly give you even though they're understaffed if you'd like to hear our full conversations with kevin mitchell jamie descalis Raffaele dell'arta and jason tufts tune in to our two-part special on hrn happy hour episodes 131 and 132 we'll be right back with more meet and three after a short break This episode is brought to you by Discover South Carolina. Learn more about South Carolina's culinary scene from the people who know it best. It's Chef Ambassadors. The South Carolina Chef Ambassador Program seeks chefs who embody the best of South Carolina's food scene, both in the quality of their ingredients and in their devotion to playing an active role in their communities. South Carolina's Chef Ambassadors are true culinary leaders. The program aspires to elevate visitor awareness of the state's diverse culinary talent, abundant produce, and numerous tourism locales found on and off the beaten path. Learn more at discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Now we're excited to share a few highlights from our pop-up studio at Charleston Wine and Food 2020. Before COVID, food and wine festivals were must-attend events for industry professionals. But after long days of eating, drinking, and socializing, personal wellness often took a backseat. Last year at Charleston Wine and Food, HRN's Kat Johnson and Hannah Forden spoke with Steve Palmer and Sherry Bayer about how they prioritize personal wellness in an industry that can sometimes glorify drinking in unhealthy ways. Sherry, host of HRN's All in the Industry, spoke publicly about her sobriety for the first time when she hosted a summit in New York City. 
you know, looking back at my career, I have always, I have been all in in everything I've done. And I stopped drinking over 17 years ago. And I was in the hospitality industry before that. And I've remained in it all these years. And I never, I never thought about changing careers. Um, in PR, I represent mostly restaurants and bars. And it, I've been in working for myself since 2003. And it hasn't limited me at all. And again, I just, I don't make a huge deal about it, but I am proud of it. And I'm not gonna have wine with my dinner just to make someone happy. Steve Palmer is the founder of Indigo Road Restaurant Group. He now runs a support group for industry professionals dealing with substance abuse called Ben's Friends. I got sober 18 years ago, and sobriety was unheard of in our business. And early sobriety was lonely in that way for me because I wanted to still be a part of the community. And it wasn't that anybody was being malicious. They just didn't, they just didn't know what to say. And I love that now people don't even blink anymore. And it's like, oh, here's our spirit-free drink list. And it's, it's such a different time than it was when we first got sober. We're dealing in addiction, so we're dealing in mental health and trying to get people healthy who are unhealthy. Um, so it is an imperfect science, to be sure. And what we know is that, that the sense of community that people that attend Ben's Friends meetings, I just left the Ben's Friends meeting this morning, um, is a, is a, feels safe and feels uh, there's commonality. They know this is their tribe. So at our best, when we're launching these meetings in the new cities, it feels that way when you walk in. To learn more about Sherry and Steve's approaches to wellness, check out episode 351 of Heritage Radio Network on tour in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. One conversation from last year that became even more relevant during the pandemic focused on pop-ups. As more and more restaurants face challenges with rents, staffing, and financing, we saw the rise of the nimble pop-up format. For Fatmata Binta, who describes herself as a modern nomadic chef, the pop-up model is an extension of her nomadic roots, which she traces back to her parents, first-generation Sierra Leonean Fulanis of Guinean descent. Fatmata was born in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Today, she's the chef de cuisine at the Accra, Ghana-based Fulani Kitchen. But she's taken her kitchen all over the world, from Africa to the UK to North America. Last year, Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears, sat down with Fatmata to see what it's like to be a nomadic chef in this globalized era. And Binta, so you sort of have more of a nomadic yes, setup so, as a chef. Tell me about that. Yes, I, I come from a tribe called the Fulanese, sure. which is the largest tribe in Africa yep. as a whole. And we are nomads, yes, and we move around a lot. So that has like a huge influence um, on our cuisine and also our lifestyle. So we are all over West Africa. And that has really influenced me as a chef because I grew up as a nomad, um, most of my ingredients are influenced by it. The Fulani people are the world's largest nomadic ethnic group, and they inhabit regions of West Africa larger in size than the continental United States. Although the Fulani are constantly on the move, food is a consistent source of rest and community for them. And I'm also trying to preserve the culture because I feel like it's slowly fading away. And for me, it's very important because we have a tradition where we all sit on the mat 
and eat together, which mm. I believe in community. And I feel like sure. that's a way to really bond with people and just stop because the world is moving so fast. so fast. Everybody's doing grab and go now. The Fulani have to take everything with them, so they have a different version of a pantry than most Western non-nomadic cultures. The Fulani pantry is continually stocked by non-perishables and whatever is local and available. We are always moving. Most of our ingredients are sun-dried and ready for on-the-go. So we have a pantry, but it's built outside. Sure. <laughs> we have, um, so the way we, we sun-dry ingredients or store, because we do preservation a lot, because we are always on-the-go. Yeah. So things like even beef, we sun-dry. Today, as a nomadic chef, Fatmata's own pantry is often in her suitcase. It's nomadic, that's the idea. Since I'm a nomad, it's in my blood, DNA. I want to keep my kitchen going because I feel like that's the only way I can touch every corner of this wall and share this beautiful experience. We are nomads and it's a nomadic kitchen, literally. Do you bring a suitcase full of ingredients every time you travel? Oh, we smuggle always. <laughs> <laughs> that's bet, what we do, chefs. We smuggle. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you do Today, we can't touch every corner of the world. COVID has demanded that the culinary world stay in one place, and Fatmata is hunkered down in Accra, temporarily shifting her global approach to a more local one. To hear more about Fatmata's philosophy on nomadic cooking, check out episode 356 of HRN's On Tour in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. For our final throwback to Charleston wine and food, we bring you a bit of an HRN tradition, a wine roundtable led by the Grape Nation's Sam Ben Ruby. In 2020, he gathered a group of experts to take a closer look at champagne. They discussed changes in the industry, including champagne's growing popularity and climate change. Here's Sam. I could be wrong on this, but these days, champagne seems so ubiquitous. Restaurant lists, parties, you know, it used to be celebratory. Why are we so excited about champagne now? I think what's interesting uh, over the last maybe decade or so is that people are starting to really appreciate uh, champagne more often, but also not necessarily associated with uh, caviar and lobster. That's Christian Holthausen. He's the Director of Export Sales and International Communications for AR Lenoble. I think that champagne uh, is, is overpriced and we need to make champagne uh, more accessible. Part of what a lot of us have been trying to do is, is sort of democratize champagne like a little bit and make right. sure that everyone can have a glass of champagne. Right. And yeah. I think that that's kind of helped really remove it out of this very celebratory context. Here's Ariel Arce. She owns Ayers Champagne Parlor in New York City. Perception has always been that champagne is this place of luxury, and the reality is, is it's filled with farmers and people making really great wines um, with really uh, thoughtful mindsets. But, you know, it, it's been a bit of a struggle to kind of change that narrative. Finally, here's Philippe Andre, the U.S. brand ambassador for Champagne Charles Heitzig. I think at the end of the day, we need to make sure that people have it in their glass early and often so they can understand what it takes to make a wine from Champagne Region of France, but also to understand that it's something that we can enjoy every day. Let me ask you guys, is there an issue with climate and how climate is changing? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's very simple things as, uh, you know, it's warmer at certain times of the year when it's supposed to be cold and and then you see a budding happening in the vineyards and then the next week there's a frost and it kills everything. And there's no coming back from a frost. Your take? Uh, when it comes to global warming, we're seeing a lot more vintage wines being made. 
And I think that's because we have this really ripe fruit. Now, is that going to happen for the next 10, 15, 20 years? I don't know. That's, that's a very uh, interesting and scary thought to think about. I think it's important that we all think about what we can do to, uh, to impact our, our daily lives and, and, and being responsible. So working on with our growers to be more sustainable, to be more thoughtful in our approach. My parents' generation, they really struggled uh, for sugar and they really struggled for maturity and they really struggled for alcohol. So 30 years ago, we used to need reserve wines to add all of this richness and complexity to the base wines. Now we need reserve wines to freshen up ah. our base wines. Mm. That, that's literally the world has gone upside down. I have neighbors in Champagne that don't like that every time I'm interviewed, I talk about climate change. I think that we have to make, uh, we have to raise uh, more awareness of this and keep talking about it. If you'd like to hear the rest of the roundtable discussion, find episode 334 of HRN On Tour. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks this week to Carmen Sherlock, Caroline Fox, Hannah Fulmer, Sophia Lebowitz, and Alicia Chan. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out.